This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Gracious God, our souls cry out for you. Speak to us, Lord, for your people are listening. Amen. Well, it's the, it's the headline of this article that catches your attention. Quote, face of Jesus Christ appears in three cheese pizza. And here's the news story. In a purported miracle, in quotes, the face of Jesus Christ has appeared on a three cheese pizza made at the Posh Pizza in Brisbane. And the image can be yours to enjoy. The shop has put the slice on eBay and as of this morning, bidding was up to $65. But the director of the Institute for Catholic Identity and Mission said that the pizza was, quote, almost definitely not a miracle. The vacuum-packed pizza is on sale at eBay until 5.40 p.m., end quote. Now, the proceeds of this sale, which ended up at $98, went to charity. So there's a measure of lightness to this story. But the fact that there are literally dozens of such sightings of Jesus on a pancake, pieces of toast, a Kit Kat candy bar, or a Walmart receipt, and that some people take these very seriously, well, the mind boggles. And these cultural phenomena point to the urgency, the genuine, serious urgency of the two crucial questions Jesus asked this morning. Who do the crowds say that I am? And who do you say that I am? These questions form the centerpiece of this morning's reading from Luke, but their significance resonates throughout the entire gospel narrative and beyond. Today's story is better understood within the larger context of two significant events that immediately precede it, that is, Jesus sending out of his 12 apostles on their first mission trip and the feeding of the 5,000, and another key event that happens immediately afterwards, and that is the very trans transfiguration of Jesus. So, Keep the, those bookends in mind as we look through today's specific passage. First, the sending out of the 12. Luke tells us that Jesus called the 12 together and gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. What a commissioning! And from Luke's very short summary after the mission, it appears that the mission was actually a success because Luke reports that the apostles went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, this event is an important moment in the disciples' apprenticeship because here we see Jesus equipping them, empowering his apostles for their own future ministry. Jesus knows 
his earthly ministry is finite. In fact, he, he tells the disciples this for the very first time in today's passage. He knows it will be up to these disciples to continue his work of preaching and teaching and healing and of growing and spreading the good news of the kingdom of God under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which, remember, hasn't shown up yet. This is a time of preparation for the disciples' ultimate mission after his resurrection. What a challenging, what, what an exciting experience this must have been for them. And it must have gone a long way in shaping their own identities as followers of Jesus, but also they're still developing understanding of just who this Jesus really is, Jesus' own identity. That's the first event. The second event, which follows immediately after, is the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus feeds this immense crowd on five loaves and two fish. And here the apostles again gain new insights into the identity of Jesus. So now we come to today's passage. So, and the, the apostles enter this morning's picture, primed, as it were, for the two key questions Jesus asks. Luke 9, 18. Now it happened that Jesus was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Notice that this question comes only after Jesus has been in intense prayer with the Father. He knows this is a pivotal moment for his disciples, and he prepares for it through prayer. And so he asks, who do the crowds say that I am? Notice that their answers correspond with the widely held messianic expectations of the time. So they say, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now, it's, it's a relatively safe question, and it elicits relatively safe answers. But then, a question that is not so safe. But who do you say that I am? Notice that Luke's account does not record the slightest hesitation before the Apostle Peter's stunning reply, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Words bearing the weight of generations of fervent expectations. The long-awaited Messiah, the divinely anointed Son of David, and perhaps the political and military liberator of the people of Israel. The disciples would have been nurtured by birth in this collective cultural expectation of the Messiah. Add to this reality, they're witnessing acts of Jesus that could be described only as miraculous acts of God. All this does indeed point to the answer, the Christ of God. As theologian N.T. Wright notes, even though Jesus wasn't doing everything they had expected a Messiah to do, the combination of authority, power, insight, 
and fulfillment of the scriptures that the disciples had seen in Jesus was too potent to mean anything else. There must have been something very joyful in this moment. And while the disciples still have much, much, much to learn about Jesus as the Christ of God, their understanding of his true identity is clearly developing. But into this moment of joyful recognition, Jesus introduces a serious note. Verses 21 and 22. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to, to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The disciples must have been stunned. Perhaps they understood his command to keep silent about his true identity. Widespread news that Jesus was indeed the Christ of God could trigger violent nationalistic expectations of the Messiah. His ministry would have been completely disrupted. But remember, this is the very first time the disciples hear Jesus speak of his suffering and death. Adding to the shock and confusion of of this news was the increasing reality that their own identities were inextricably linked to the identity of Jesus. So suffering and death are not a part of the plan. But look again at verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now this game-changing word, raise, can be easily lost in the crushing blow of the words that precede it. Suffering, rejection, death. In their bewilderment, let's face it, disciples might not even have heard this word. And if they had, what does it mean? For us, the resurrection is foundational to our understanding of the identity of Jesus Christ as the the Son of God. And in time, this will also be the case for the disciples, but not quite yet. There is still more to learn. And so Jesus continues his teaching. Verses 23 and 24. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is an important and difficult teaching on discipleship. And notice that it's addressed not just to the twelve, but to all gathered around Jesus on that day. And it is addressed to all of us who are or will become followers of Jesus. But again, this is certainly not what anyone expected or even wanted to hear. Those first hearing this know and understand the horrors and shame of the cross in a way that we never can. Many of them may have witnessed crucifixions. So a call to take up a cross daily was impossible to comprehend. And let's face it, 
it still is. Perhaps the most difficult teachings about following Jesus are summarized in today's passage. Suffering, rejection, death, giving up our lives. How do we even begin to walk a path that seems so very steep? Or how do we get back onto that path after we've strayed or even fallen off? A great place to start is to actively, actively engage the two questions Jesus asks us this morning. Who do the crowd say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, there were various answers to this first question in Jesus' own time. We heard many of the familiar ones from his own disciples. And there are certainly even more answers today, aren't there, in our current culture? Let's look at just a few. Now, let's start by saying not many, one hopes, would really reduce Jesus Christ to a face on a three-cheese pizza mentioned earlier. But there are more conventional responses that also greatly reduce the person of Jesus as we know him as his followers. For example, Jesus is a good teacher, but nothing more. Jesus is a positive role model and a political activist. Jesus is one of the many paths leading to the same place. And don't we all sometimes want a Messiah more of our own creation? Powerful, but doing what we want. Giving, but not taking. A Messiah who asks no questions and makes no demands. Or we pick and choose from his teaching. No to loving your enemies. Yes, to loving ourselves, maybe to sharing our faith with others, and always skeptical when Jesus says, when you tithe, not if you tithe. Why all the prevaricating? Well, because Jesus tells us this morning that his path is not an easy one. He never says otherwise. That is, or can be, very daunting. So let's move on to question two. Who do you say that I am? Before we answer, though, we need to see the importance of the timing of these questions within that larger context of events I spoke of earlier. Notice that Jesus does not ask this question in a vacuum. He doesn't just pluck it out of the air one day and spring it on his unprepared disciples, does he? No, he asks the question only after he had first prayed to the Father for guidance on the timing, and when knowing that the disciples were ready to answer. We saw earlier how he was preparing his disciples specifically for this moment. He was equipping them. He was empowering them through his teaching and healing and through his very humanity. He was gradually but deliberately revealing himself piece by piece to them from the moment he first called them to follow me. So Peter, a spokesman for the Twelve, was able to answer accurately when he said the Christ of God, but it was still an 
incomplete answer because there was more and more and more to be learned, to be seen, and to experienced. And so what of us this morning? Jesus does not ask this question of us in a vacuum either. The disciples could answer only after a period of teaching, of listening, and observing. And yes, questioning, and doubting, and even denying. But they were actively seeking and engaging in an apprenticeship with the Master. And Jesus responded to their openness with compassion and understanding. Always, always, he was and is eager to reveal himself to us. The disciples had the privilege of participating in Jesus' earthly ministry. But we do as well every time we pick up a Bible. Jesus is still eager to reveal himself. And this is the place where he does it. We have the fullness of revelation, or as full as we can have on this side of eternity, here in Scripture. We too, in Scripture, can see Jesus, can watch him, can listen to him, and with increasing understanding, identify him as the Christ of God. Finally, the event that occurs just eight days later that further reveals Jesus as the Christ of God. This is the, the other bookend immediately after. In fact, it's only eight days after this story, this happens. So be attentive as you listen to an abridged reading from later in Acts 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in their glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The word of the Lord. <laughs> 